This is Dan McCarthy, and you're listening to Check-In by TMR. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Check-In. Um, my guest for this episode is Jackie Marks. She's the executive vice president of Apple Leisure Group. She's a 25-year veteran of the travel industry, and she's someone I'm sure so many of you have gotten to know and have spoken with and interacted with over the years. I just want to say I was fortunate enough to sit next to Jackie during a dinner at ALGV's Ascend conference last month in Cancun, Mexico. I've attended a couple of other Ascends and I've attended a lot of ALGV's press conferences over the few over the years I've been in the industry. But I want to just say I felt so lucky to be sat next to Jackie at this dinner and just hear her speak on business, on travel, on growing up in Wisconsin and on family, which topics that make up most of the conversation in this episode. Now, I know I would have loved to speak with her for this podcast regardless, and I'm hopeful I would have made that effort even if I never met her last month or sat next to her at that dinner. But it just goes to show you how chance plays a role in your career and how chance plays a role in a lot of things in your life. Jackie even mentions it during the beginning of this episode when she talks about her career, how shit started when she saw a FunJet job ad in the classified section of a local newspaper, something that got her started down this 25-year journey. Think of all the people you've met through the travel industry. All the people you've sat next to on trains, on planes, boats, ferries, all the people you've sat next to in cars, on transfers from hotels to airports. Everyone has had their own story. Everyone has their own perspective, their own ways of living, their own ways of succeeding, their own ways of dealing with challenges, of dealing with trauma, of turning bad things around. Everyone comes from different places. Everyone's sort of grew up surrounded by different kinds of people and different things. And I'm sure so many of you have developed meaningful connections, whether it's in business or in your personal life, simply through those chance meetings, simply because you said hello to someone sharing a table with you at a conference, or you asked someone a question on a fam trip, or you were seated at someone's shared table on a river cruise or on a tour. I'd like to think the travel industry is better at that than a lot of other industries. Those chance connections are more important here because people in travel know how important other kinds of people from other kinds of places are. They know how important different perspectives are and they know travel can introduce you to those perspectives. I think that's, for so many of us, that's the inherent importance of travel in people's lives. And I think that's why so many people love to travel, to strengthen meaningful connections you have with your family or friends, or to create those connections you don't have just yet. I wanna say I very much love using the noise cancellation feature on my airpods um, when i'm traveling i love to sit down on a train or a plane and then and, and sort of close my eyes and not hear anything but this conversation with jackie has got me thinking that it might be a good idea in the future to put them away once in a while and instead turn to the person next to me um, i'm not sure how well that will go especially here in new york but it's probably something i should try back to the conversation with jackie um she's incredibly kind and personable She's also incredibly passionate, not only about the business, but about moving the business forward. Innovating has been key to the company she's worked for since she got her start in travel, and it's something that she very clearly keeps in front of the mind to this day. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I've enjoyed all the others I've been lucky enough to have with Jackie. I want to thank her for speaking with me today. So let's check in with Jackie. Hello. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I know you're in the middle of uh, a couple of conferences too for ALGV, so I appreciate you taking the time. 
No problem. It's uh, always busy, but it's always good. <laughs> it's the ho I mean, it's around the holidays too. You all must be very, very busy uh, with, with yeah. your team and everything. Yeah, we are. But uh, and we leave for the best of the best trip next week. So we're doing our national sales meeting and destination just before the trip. And that's in yeah. that's back in because I saw you at uh, Send, and that's you're you're back in Mexico for travel impressions, right? Yeah, we're in uh, Puerto Vallarta this time. Okay. I mean, do you have a preference for between Cancun and Puerto Vallarta? Is there is there one destination that you'd rather go to, or is it is it uh, they're both great destinations? Yeah, they're both great, and I I have a little nostalgic feeling towards Puerto Vallarta. I had my honeymoon there, and, okay. and my daughter did her senior year trip with all of her friends. We took them there, so a little bit of a kind of heartstring tug when it comes to Puerto Vallarta, but. Uh, I love Cancun just because it's it's Cancun. It's yeah. it's the one that you just kind of you you go you go to. So yeah, I, I know I mentioned it when we when I saw you uh, last month, but that was my that was my first time in Cancun. Was uh, I was still can't Sandia. believe that? I'm yeah. glad we were part of your first experience. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it was incredible. Like uh, my biggest fear was getting sunburn, and I didn't get any sunburn when <laughs> I was down there. But I, I enjoyed myself. Yeah, it, it is it is an amazing destination, and just to see. Just to see how much dedicated to sort of tourism and hospitality too. It, it's it's a unique place. Yeah. And you're in Wisconsin right now, right? I am. Okay. I am. It's uh, we're getting into that winter season. So yeah, I, that's what I want to ask you because I know you travel a lot for 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 your career, obviously. And you go to you mentioned Cancun and Puerto Vallarta. I mean, what is it like when you when you get to spend a few days in Cancun or or a few days in Puerto Vallarta and then come back to Wisconsin? What's uh What's the feeling like when you're getting off the plane? Yeah, well, you know, I usually have to have a change of shoes in my bag because okay. <laughs> I, I like to wear my flip-flops home on the plane, but it's very cold once I get back to Wisconsin. But uh, it's I actually kind of feel like it's homes away from home. You know, it's like one home is just different than the other. One's warmer, one's a little colder. Yeah. But um, it's just kind of funny because they both have a piece of my heart. And um, after 25 years and and knowing so many of our people that work in that destination, it's like going from one home to the other and just it, it's an emotional kind of connection you have in both places. It's it's kind of interesting that I don't know that many people outside of travel can really understand that. Yeah, I've heard that from a number of people, how special these sort of destinations become. And then like I guess on your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth trip there, you sort of see the same faces, like even people maybe you don't even speak to, you just sort of recognize the same people and the same feeling when you're like going through customs or going through security or or getting on a transfer and things like that. Yep, it is. It is. And it's like that warm face that you see right when you get off the plane. I mean, that just starts your whole experience and it's very consistent from that point forward. So I wanted to ask you because I, I I've I've known some people from Wisconsin and uh, they've always been like like uh, diehard Wisconsin like they've always been super proud of being from that state and it just seems to I'm from New York and I know I know there's pride from here too but I don't know if it's the same kind of pride that you get from Wisconsin or like similar Midwestern states and like is that is that a feeling you share like that kind of pride in in, in your home state Yeah you know um, I don't know it, it, what it is about Wisconsin um, and you know you and I. I chatted when we were together in Cancun and I said I had many opportunities to leave for other jobs and I just couldn't. I, I had this kind of connection to my state and I was determined that I was going to be able to make a great career without having to leave Wisconsin. I mean, part of it is we have a lot of people have very extended families in Wisconsin um, and that for me is the number one thing. But then there is the change of, change of seasons that I love about Wisconsin. You know, you get to see it all and yeah. even though we hate our winters and we complain about them, it still is part of who we are. We're very loyal to our sports teams 
And I just feel like there's just this kind of hospitality. You know, I believe everything in, in every state in our country has its own uniquenesses. But, you know, for me, I just, I couldn't leave here. Um, and uh, I don't regret any of it for, for all the time that I've been here. I've never been to that state. I, I mean, I don't know if the only time I've really spent in the Midwest, I guess, would be Chicago. But that seems like something completely different, too. Like outside, I would, I mean, I, I've met so many people, like I've met you and I've met so many people from Minnesota. Minnesota is a big state for travel. I know because of the the Carson wagon uh, connection there, um, yep. and it seems there seems to be a big population of hospitality and travel people, like around your area. Is that right? Yeah, there is. And I think to your point, you kind of hit on it is that some of the, the really legacy companies in our industry started in this area. Um, and I know it's not as, as common as maybe the East and West Coast, there's probably a lot more. But the ones that did start in the Midwest, you know, with Apple in Chicago and Funjet in, you know, Wisconsin, and there's a couple other companies, Transglobal, that was up in Minnesota, along with, like you said, the history of Carson, Vega, and Lee, and then eventually Travel Leaders. Those are very successful and in, in legacy companies that, you know, really kind of put a foothold in the Midwest. So despite being smaller, you know, we're, we're small, but we're mighty in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. And I know, and I know, I mean, you mentioned the pride. I know there's a lot of pride uh, around the sports teams there and around sort of, I know be, there's a big beer culture in, in Milwaukee <laughs> in particular, right? And then uh, Harley Davidson in Milwaukee, I think. Yep. You know, a lot of people think of, you know, I always laugh because when people think of Wisconsin, they think of beer, they think of cheese, and they think of the Packers, yeah. <laughs> and all of which I'm okay with. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, we, we do like to enjoy our, you know, our, our cocktails and our sports teams, and, you know, we wear, we wear our orange flannel at games, whatever it takes yeah. to stay warm. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's those kinds of things that you laugh about that people think about, but, you know, there's there's more to it than that, but that is kind of the heart at, at what, we, what we get seen as, I guess. So, I mean, what was it like starting your career? It, like, I, again, you, you spoke about the population of the the industry in, in your area. What was it like starting a career in travel in, in Wisconsin? And uh, I mean, I know you started with, is it, you started with FunJet? Is that how you got your, your, your foothold? I yeah. did. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's not something that when I graduated college, I even understood that that was going to be an option for me to go into travel. And I hadn't traveled a lot as a child. I mean, we did, in Wisconsin, there's a place called Noah's Ark which is this, you know, supposed to be the world's largest water park. And there was Great America in Illinois. So to me, you know, I'd gone to Disney World once, you know, on a plane at that point, I think I, and then I had been on a plane a couple other times to visit friends while I was in college. But, um, you know, we were very much a local travel kind of family. And I didn't really understand travel in the scope of what travel was involved. So when I graduated college, I had a, a, a double degree. And I thought, you know, I go into the business world, I need to, I need to find something that is going to provide um, this long-standing career that I had hoped to achieve. And so for being in the Midwest, one of the companies that I had done an internship with and then decided to stay on with was Mercury Marine Outboard Motors. And they are a very well-renowned company here in, in actually where I grew up in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. So I thought that made sense. And, you know, that would be a foothold into the business world. But um, I learned very quickly that you really got to love your product and you really got to love what you're doing. And you can't just work um, just to work because that is not going to be fulfilling and, and it's, you're not going to give your best if you don't love your product. And so um, I did that for a little bit. And I tell people all the time, I felt like I had some guy's dream job yeah. that loved boat motors, yeah. um, but it wasn't my dream job. And so that really made me start looking at what other options were there and what did I really want to do? And 
And um, I actually honestly stumbled onto FunJet. You know, it was based in Milwaukee at back in the day, they had newspaper ads, um, you know, and you think about looking at the the classifieds and, and the one ads and things like that today, people don't even know what you're talking about. But, um, you know, they had a posting and I thought, well, this will be fun. I actually thought it was going to be a, just a transition for me. I, I would apply. Um, it would give me a chance to kind of figure things out. Um, and little did I know that I was going to walk through those doors and not walk out <laughs> um, for, for over 25 years. Yeah. And so um, I was very fortunate to work for a family and a company that really had this kind of entrepreneurial you know, spirit and really became something so much greater than I ever expected it to be. Yeah. So, well, I mean, what were stuff, that introduction, that job, that first role at FunJet, what kind of things were you, were you doing? Oh, gosh, I, I love reminiscing about the good old days, as I call it. Um, so back in the day when I first started, it was called an associate product manager. I had no idea what I was going to be doing. They kind of described the job to me. But you really were, in the best of the terms, you were a jack of all trades. This was a very small company when I first started. And so you did everything from creating, back in the day, it was faxes. So you know that's how you communicated with travel advisors. You would fax them your specials. You would fax them. And you would actually stand at a fax machine and type in all of these numbers of your local travel agents, and you would fax them to them. So it was the creation of that promotion of whatever we were selling. Okay. It was um, loading rates um, on what needed to go into the system for our pricing. But back in the day, you weren't allowed to actually load your own pricing. You would type them up on a um, you know computer and you would walk them down to the basement and you'd have these people in the basement load them into the system for you. So you would do the pricing, you would do the promotion, and then they would send you out on sales calls too. You would go out and do sales calls to travel advisors and talk to them. So whatever the company basically needed you to do, you just kind of did it yeah. because there wasn't all these different departments back then. I assume there was a like a learning curve when you're coming into the industry, even back then. I And it, it seems like a different world back then, which obviously it was. But I mean, what was what was the learning curve like? What kind of skills did you have to sort of learn as you went along, uh, especially during that first role? Yeah, um, well, the first thing was learning the GDS. That was okay. very foreign to me, the green screens, as we called them. There was codes for everything. There was airport codes. There was, you know, move codes. There was, you name it, there was a code. And so I remember having a, a cheat sheet on my desk of all the different codes I needed to know on how to navigate the GDS. Um, so that took me a little bit. And there is so much... Um, kind of inside ways of which things are done in travel that I had to learn. Um, you know, there was charters at the time and, and understanding how we filed charters. And, and, and that was a big part of our company was, you know, securing our own aircraft, which was very unique at the time, you know, in that, you know, the scheduled airlines weren't selling as much leisure. So you, you weren't, um, you know, using scheduled airlines. You were pretty much controlling your own fate by getting these what back in the day were DC-10, L-10 planes. And we were flying double dailies to Vegas, which back then, you know, there wasn't all these Americans and United flights to Vegas. If you wanted to go to Vegas, you got on a charter um, because the airlines were so focused on business routes that this is really what carved the niche for companies like FunJet to really focus on leisure routes. Oh, wow. Eventually, obviously, times changed and the, the airlines quickly realized there was a lot of money to be made in leisure. 
But um, yeah, there was a lot of understanding of, of, of this charter capacity and how to manage it. Do you still remember a lot of the airline codes? I mean, you mentioned having a cheat sheet, but I'm sure you uh, you had to commit a lot of them to memory too. Is oh, that something of course, you, yeah. of course. We, we, we still joke about all of that today. And, and, and yes, that doesn't go out of your brain. It, it kind of is ingrained. Yeah, I see. I, I mean, the GDS is, it seems to be, it seems to have become of less importance for maybe the travel trade. But I know um, when, when I write a story about a GDS, there's still a bunch of, uh, a bunch of interest from, from our, from our readers. And it, it seems like, I hope it sticks around because it, it, it is a, it is a unique process and something that I think makes the travel advisor's job like completely separate from a lot of other people. Yeah. You know, and I, well, I was fortunate to be with a company that really saw the future of technology. So, um, you know, after they, you know, realized the dependency of the GDS, you know, the Lamakia family decided they were going to create a booking engine that wasn't um, dependent on another company and really control their own fate, as I call it. Um, and so that was really what birthed Tricep Solutions at our company at the okay. time then eventually Vax Vacation Access. So nobody else in the industry had, you know, their own booking engine. Everybody was doing everything through the GDS and the Lamakias decided we can do this. And it, it, it was... I always say working for the Lamakias, you you enjoyed the entrepreneurial spirit, but you also knew that you were going to take a lot of pain being the first to do something. Okay. So you 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 anything we did, we were kind of first to market in the idea. So the idea that we were going to ask travel advisors to transact business outside the GDS, you know, was just like you've got to be kidding me to the advisor. But eventually, through a lot of persistence and learnings, the bumps in the roads. Vax became the most powerful tool in the industry, but it, it didn't start out that way by any means. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's interesting. I never even thought about that too, because there's always has to be someone first with these sort of seismic changes, and it, it probably takes a lot of courage to be the first people to do that. But it seems like something that the Lamakias would just would they just accepted? They just had that kind of attitude, that kind of courage, and and they were brave enough to take these first steps. Absolutely, that was probably you know you people look back on their careers and say, what did you learn, or who were your mentors, or what are the biggest things. That by far is the biggest thing that I learned from the Lamakias is not to be afraid to be the first to do something. And if we're going to fail, fail quickly was always a mantra of the Lamakias. Okay. So, you know, they weren't, they were risk takers and that's really what made them successful. So that really changed me as a person because, you know, especially being young, you, you don't want to make a mistake. So you were, I was conservative. I was more, um, you know, let's go with the, the crowd kind of person, you know, but they really pushed us outside our comfort zone and, and made us take risks. And for those risks, you know, the ones that didn't work, we, we got past them quickly, but the ones that did were home runs. So it's a, it's a great um, kind of in internal mantra to have in this industry to not be afraid. Yeah. I mean, were there any other, do you remember any other risks, any other, any sort of things that sort of stick out, especially during that early part of your career that, uh, that you really learned from? Well, I would say one that, that wasn't maybe as early, but I remember being the first company to not print brochures okay. and what that was like. And, and to, to try to get past the idea that people were going to be walking into offices and picking up brochures and trying to do things more electronically as well. It really was all about that kind of electronic technical age that they always wanted to be ahead of the curve on. And so I remember taking several very angry phone calls about um, us not printing brochures. And so, you know, that was probably one that I remember, um, you know, a lot. You know, another one, you know, even if you look at what you were just attending, you know, Ascend, I think it's been now eight, nine, nine years, I think, we were the first to say we were going to stop doing traditional trade shows. And we weren't going to line people up in, in halls and, you know, have rows of brochures and your typical trade show that, that had been around for years. 
Summit, which was the first version of Ascend, was something also that was kind of the, the brainchild of Bill LaMacchia Jr. When he said, we've got to have a more meaningful connection. And this idea of trade shows, when you get two hours of people walking up and down aisles, isn't creating a meaningful connection. And again, that really started the summit, which was bring people to a destination, immerse with them for three days, teach them how to run their business. Don't just tell them you know, what we want them to know about our company, but tell them how they can be successful in their business. Because if we can make them successful in their business, by nature, we will be successful in our business with them. Um, and that was a big mind shift change that um, was a big risk that we took. And it took a little bit in the first couple of years to get people to buy into it. But once it took off now, we have waiting lists to attend the event. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I wanted to mention too, because it was my first Ascend and it, there was so many different kinds of content available. And the one that you mentioned in our conversation that I attended was the the, the work, the photography workshop. And I have to say my even like the shooting, shooting photos on my phone, it's significantly improved just by a 45 minute uh, conversation or a 45 minute class with uh, with the photographer you all had on hand. So uh, it is interesting to sort of see ALGV and hopefully see other companies sort of push the bounds of even content at conferences too. And, and realizing that advisors are interested in more stuff than sort of the generic titles when you're heading into these rooms. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are so many consortias and hosts and conferences out there. We've got to understand and try to be different. And, and I think there's a lot of great ones out there, but our, our thought is where is the business going? And let's, you know, there's that saying about Wayne Gretzky, you know, he goes to where the puck is going to be. Yeah. Not where the puck is and that's also another kind of we have these like mantras and sayings that kind of just stick with us yeah um, and that was always one of them is we need to be going where the puck is and so or the where the puck's going to be not where the puck is and so you know doing classes about you know another one that we did was called the influencer how to become an influencer you know do you use an influencer in your business and so the photography class the influencer class the writing a business plan you know anything that we could do that would show travel advisors how to be successful in not the old way, but in potentially a, a new way. Yeah, I, I completely, I mean, I the, I remember the advisors with me because the, they sort of walked us outside to another property and they were they were just so happy. And there's just so many small things you can do um, with, with your like, iPhone photography. Um, I, I thought it was great. I, I really, I really did enjoy it. I regret not being able to go to it myself <laughs> because I'm not the best phone taker. And let's be honest. I mean, we're all posting our pictures to create, especially for travel advisors. Yeah. You know, we're trying to create inspiration. We're trying to, you know, get other people to engage in the, in the world that we get to see when we travel. And so your iPhone is one of your most powerful tools to do that. Um, so I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned 25 years in the industry is a long time. Um, and you've been with sort of this, almost the same company. I know that has been through acquisitions and uh, takeovers and things like that. But what are the challenges like when you get news? I know the Mark Travel news in 2018 was big news. Um, what's what's it like for you and your team when you when you realize that you're going to be undergoing these changes in, within the company? Uh, what's the attitude like? And then what's sort of the attitude like when you're realize that there's a big challenge ahead. Yeah, um, you know, I was fortunate enough at the time of 2018 to be involved in that one upfront. So yeah. I was part of the few people with the Lamakias that were working on that deal, um, you know, through the, you know, NDAs that we all signed. 
so I had time to process where we were going. And I remember thinking, but none of our team did. And I remember for a year and a half, I worked on that, that merger. And I remember that feeling of like, I need to find a way that this, that our team is going to embrace this. And, um, you know, you got to remember Apple and FunJet were fierce competitors, fierce, fierce competitors, respected each other tremendously, but fierce competitors. Um, and so getting the team to see the opportunity is giving them the why. I always believe that you have to give them the why and not jump to the what, you know, we can't just jump into this and say, okay, what do we got to do? How are we going to do it? Everyone has to believe in the why we're doing something. And so that takes time for people to process. And so that's also kind of a philosophy I have with every change is give them the why and make sure they feel connected to that. And they feel like they understand where we're going, why we're doing it. And then we're going to have all the work that comes with it afterwards. Yeah. So I do feel like our team has been through a lot and now has become a little bit more embracing of change because as long as you can get through the change and get to the other side and they can see that, then the next change doesn't feel quite as scary. I'll, I'll be honest, I had to tell my family after a year and a half about the merger and I'll never forget that. Um, you know, like I was under an NDA such that I hadn't even shared with my family that we oh were going to be God. merging. And I sat down at the kitchen table and I said the night before it was going to be announced and I, I told them and I remember my daughter saying, how can you do that? That's the enemy. You can't, you can't work for them. And like, I, you know, that was just kind of that mentality we had about being such fierce competitors. She couldn't even believe and process it, but you know, we all do it, you know, we get through it differently and, and every change has brought us to be a better company. So I think that also gives people confidence when they see that. Well, do you remember the why? I mean, you spoke about the why, do you remember the why that, that helped your team sort of, uh, comprehend the news? Yeah, you know, the why, the why really what we shared with the, the company was in order for us to continue to compete, especially in a world where the OTAs are um, really trying to threaten what we do, threaten travel agents' livelihood, we have to find a way to, to combine our strengths in order to continue to really go after the biggest thing that's going to threat, threaten all of our livelihoods if we don't do that, which is the OTAs. And so we had a different strength than our competitor did. We were a technology-driven company who had the infrastructure to really kind of take on, so to speak, that OTA model. Apple Leisure Group at the time had the strength of, of having a really strong end-to-end -end experience. I mean, they had the hotels, they had the ground handlers. And so when you looked at that marriage and you said, what we bring is very different when, when, than what they bring. So you're combining two companies that bring very different strengths to create a very large and powerful company that can do a lot more than we can do as indep independent you know, entities. So it when you combine with a company, if you do the exact same thing as your, your competitor, then what it, what really are you gaining? You know, you're really not gaining this kind of, you know, additional strength. You're just basically taking what you both do and, and merging it together. This was extremely unique in that we were very different companies at the core of our strengths. And so putting them together only could make us more, you know, powerful in what we wanted to do. And the word powerful sound, sometimes sounds like a negative, but powerful in that we could be stronger for advisors for the future. And that is something that, you know, this this agent community really needed from all of us. Yeah, I mean, we, we you we mentioned uh, you mentioned the sort of the beginning of your career with the agents, and I mean, it, still agents are such a huge part of, of your job and ALGV is just like an incredible incredibly important for the advisors. I mean, ha have you seen the role of travel advisors change over the years? Have you seen the that segment change at all? The people who are successful in that kind of in that business, have you seen different 
different uh, features of their business, different ways they've been able to sort of push things forward? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely. I mean, you, you have to change, you have to evolve. And I've seen those that have done it very well. And unfortunately, I've seen advisors that have left the industry because they couldn't keep up with the changes that were needed. You know, the most important thing that we've been talking about is everything is electronic. And so your customer now has access to so much information that if they don't stay ahead of, you know, how they're providing that information and knowledge, because before, remember, you know, back in the day when I first started, your only way to get knowledge on a destination was through a travel advisor. You didn't have the internet. You could go to an encyclopedia and read about a destination. But I mean, there really wasn't the, you know, the World Wide Web and the way there is today. And so advisors have had to continue to stay ahead of the knowledge that the consumer can gain themselves and bring them things by their experience that they can't get just by surfing the internet. So I think the embracing of technology, the use of social media, all those things and not being afraid of the way their customer is shopping and to engage their customer is those that have been successful. And I've seen models that have gone so high tech that I'm almost thinking, you're so far ahead of of where most people are and and that's great but just staying relevant in the world of where the customer is shopping and not being afraid of it is is really the key to success part of me when i when i think about that and sort of the all the information that's available on the internet part of me thinks that makes the advisor's job even more important because it just seems like a tidal wave of information like if I want to go to a destination, I'm going to Google it. The, the results are endless. Like they they go to infinity. So I, it's hard to determine sometimes which is the right information and which is the wrong information. So I, having someone to rely on, I think, is going to become more and more important going forward too. Yeah, Dan, you're absolutely right because you know there was a lot of information before COVID. Now after COVID, <laughs> holy cow! I just yeah. got back from Europe from a travel leaders network cruise. And I, I was petrified that I had made a mistake in filling out some of my forms because it was like I was connecting in Zurich and you had to have a certain health code, QR code. And then I was connecting in Munich on the way back and that was different. And so what, what was complex before COVID has only magnified in, in since COVID. So that's what I, makes me so happy because for 25 years, my whole career has been about travel advisors. I've never um, you know, wavered from that. They're, they're what makes our company successful. And so to see the world respond to travel advisors in the way that that they should in respecting their knowledge, respecting their value and getting that credit is it's so fulfilling for me to see that, you know, because we hit a little lull where people started thinking they could do it on their own. Yeah. And COVID really woke a lot of people up to saying, no, I, I this is a this is a very important part of my life, this trip. I don't want to mess it up and seeing that kind of resurgence of travel advisors. Uh, it's a it's a great feeling. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I read an article this week in the New York Times about sort of the new generations, their reluctance to use a financial advisor because they think they can it's they think it's all DIY now. They think they can do it everything themselves, which I'm sure a lot of them can, but uh it I mean, all all these sort of advisor-centric positions, they all seem to be facing the same challenges, which is uh the internet sort of promoting this DIY philosophy and uh, I think it's I think COVID was a perfect opportunity for advisors to to say, "Hey, you know, maybe that's not the best idea." And I think, you know, I think COVID beyond just the information overload, it also kind of reinforced our value of human connection and relationships, Yeah. Um, you know, both personally and in our professional world. So I do think that people are um, okay. You know, I, my, my kids, 25 and 21 are in that generation where they also too have thought everything is electronic and they'd prefer to text somebody versus pick up the phone. And I've been happy to see them also realize that human connection and relationships are, are important. Yeah. I, I still remember those first few weeks of COVID. 
COVID and just being locked in my, you know, my my one place and just yeah, you forget because it is like for me for for me to go see my parents or go see my family, it is like a trip. It is like it is you need to like carve out time. Uh, you need to make sure that you know you're able to travel to and from. You got to check check traffic and stuff. So it's like it's not it's not a small task. But like the absence of that in the beginning of the COVID definitely made me realize how important those things were. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think it did for all of us. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, our, our company's always been big on gratitude. Um, we start meetings with gratitude. Um, it's something that started actually, again, with the Lamakias believing that we have to start with that positive. And I've just seen gratitude become not become even bigger than what our company even had it as. So it's, it's great to see people kind of find that commonality of, of positivity. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so I only have a few more questions for you, and then and then I don't, I don't want to take up the rest of your morning. Um, I'm enjoying it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, it's it is nice to hear about people like the veterans in the travel industry. I think that's that's sort of how I'm, I'm I feel extremely fortunate to be able to have these conversations with you and with a number of other people, because uh, hearing about the old days in travel and hearing about where the industry going, I think is is important for everyone. Um, and I think you mentioned that you mentioned sort of the analogy of the word go where the puck's going now where the puck is. I mean, what do you think is the challenge for the industry now? I mean, going forward? I mean, COVID is not in the rear. I know COVID is not in the rearview mirror, but it seems to be sort of hopefully fading and hopefully permanently fading eventually. I mean, what what's the new challenges? What's going to be the next thing that sort of keeps people up at night? Yeah, for for us in the in the tour operator world, and to a certain degree, um, the travel agent advisor world is, you know, for us, we look at it as we're a package company, and component shopping is is one of our biggest fears. Is that um, you know, if if people start thinking I can go to the hotel direct and I can get my hotel because you know they have more flexible pol policies or they're giving higher commission to the advisor. And then, you know, I can get my air here. It kind of devalues what we do. And, and so us really continuing to make sure that um, that component shopping does not become a reality because it's not good for advisors and it's not good for us. Um, so, you know, we really need to continue to show the value of the bundling of the, of the package. So I would say that is something we're very focused on. We have great relationships with our hotel partners, but we also realized during COVID, our hotel partners are also fighting for, you know, business and, and trying to do what they can do in a, a very downturn. And we can't ever lose that relationship of what we do and the value we provide so that, again, we believe the consumer's experience when put together is going to be better than if they try to go and piecemeal a bunch of things. I mean, just the insurance alone, if you have a hotel and then you have an air and then you buy your transfers and excursions somewhere else, you're not even going to be able to cover that, you know, in the insurance world. So I would say that's one of the more, I'd say, business side of it. But then the other thing that I think is really changing is the 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 days of just going to a destination and sitting on the beach are kind of gone. And we're seeing this expert, you know, experiential travel is becoming more popular. And it used to be, I'm so tired, I'm so burnt out from work, I just want to go and do nothing. Well, now I think COVID told people, no, I th this is life's not guaranteed. We need to get out and see things. It can't be this bucket list that I do when I'm, you know, 60. I need to go out and do and climb this mountain, or I need to go see you know, the ruins in Mexico. So I think advisors understanding that they have to be part of more of the experiential part of that vacation. And how do we connect ourselves to the things that the, that the client wants to do in destination? Um, because they're not just going and sitting on beaches anymore. So we all have to realize that we have to create memories, we have to create experiences that before maybe weren't as popular. We use, I mean, 
in our world, we do we do excursions and destination, but most ad most advisors don't pre-sell those. They just let their customers select that in the destination. Well, today we went from about 40%, 50% at most of customers buying in destination to over 75% of the customers are now buying excursions and destination. They want to do something. And we as a company, along with our advisors, have to connect ourselves to those memories because, you know, they don't, we kind of joke about this, but they don't go on a vacation and remember how chilled their Diet Coke was on the plane. <laughs> you know, yeah. they go back and they remember the look in their daughter's eyes when she swam with the dolphins. And if we're not connecting ourselves to those memories, then what value are we providing? So we, we've got to be part of their whole end to end of their, their vacation. Yeah, I completely agree too. And I think part of that comes from, I mean, you mentioned your sort of travel experience growing up, but it seems like the world has definitely gotten smaller and people are revisiting places a lot more often. And it seems like they want, I mean, if you're going to Cancun again, if that's sort of your family's destination that you like to go to fairly regularly, they want to do all different stuff than, uh, than they typically do in, in, in these sort of familiar destinations. Absolutely. And they're traveling in bigger groups than they've ever traveled before. That's another thing too, is when they're going to the destination and it used to be, maybe I just went with my family, but now it's like, I'm going to invite my cousins and I'm going to invite my neighbors and I'm going to travel with more people. So I'm going to create these other experiences in destination with other people as well. So also realizing that group travel is going to be a big part of the future. And it might be small, you know, you know, just organic groups and it might be destination weddings. It might be family reunions, but people want to travel with other people which is also changing kind of the landscape of what they do in destination yeah my uh my parents just came back from a river cruise and i spoke to them and they can't talk they can't stop talking about the people they met on board like uh yeah. the people they had dinner with and things like that so i think that's a level especially you mentioned covid sort of the absence of it during covid being able to meet other people who aren't from your area who aren't fairly regular conversation people you speak to i think that's going to be that's important too Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're done. And I just came back. That's where I was with Travel Leaders Network. I was on a river cruise. And, you know, I don't get a chance to do a lot of cruising in my world of being a land based vacation provider. <laughs> but I have such respect and, and appreciation for what those cruises do. Um, and this is where I also believe COVID taught us all to have a lot more appreciation and respect for each other as competitors, yeah. um, because we're really all in this together. So it's, it's not about, you know, trying to take somebody's business. It's trying to propel the travel industry in total. There's enough business for all of us. It, I, I completely agree. And that's a sentiment I've heard from a lot of different people too, is that, uh, there's enough business. There's a hundred percent enough business to go around. Um, the challenge seems to be convincing the people who maybe aren't traveling that maybe it's time to start traveling or the people who aren't taking vacations in your segment that maybe this is something you should consider going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've, we've seen more collaboration and things birthed from COVID that, um, again, you, you never waste a good crisis. And yeah. I think this industry did not waste the crisis. Um, we found a way to come out stronger and, and more, more aligned and, and collaborating with each other. So I only have one more question and I've asked this from a number, number of different people. And uh, to be fairly honest, I'm just stealing everyone's advice uh, for myself and try to improve my career. But I mean, what advice would you give your younger self if, if you had to go back to when you sort of took that first job at FunJet? What, what, what things would you tell your younger self to sort of, I don't know, to, to help her out during her early days? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's trying to. Um, I know I thought a lot about this because it's kind of it's it's a, it's shaped me as a person. Is what can you learn from every single person that you encounter your time with? And you know, in this industry, sometimes we're moving so fast that you can go from one thing to the next to the next, and you're just checking things off on a box. And it's like I did this, I did this, I attended this event, but um, slowing down and realizing that every person that you touch along the way probably can make you better if you take the time to 
really, you know, invest and get to know those people in your, in your touch points in your career, you know, and this is where something even like I've looked at and said, you know, I didn't know a lot of my, my cruise competitors before. And the more I've gotten to know them at events, the more I think, boy, you know, I've learned a lot from them, even though they're in a different part of this segment, just spending time having a meaningful conversation with them has taught me things about this industry that I didn't realize and things that I can actually apply to my business. So don't ever miss an opportunity to really get to know somebody in this industry because you just don't know who and how that's going to affect you. It could affect you in a different career move. It could affect you in what you learn from them that you can apply to your business. But I think sometimes we just move too fast and we don't enjoy the small conversations that can lead to bigger things. I can't tell you when I look back how many times I had an aha moment when I had a conversation that wasn't even planned. It was just, and then it, it sparked something in me that went, oh my gosh, I never thought of this, even though that had nothing to do with really that conversation. It was just something that person said that took me down a different path of creativity, of innovation, of things like that. So never miss an opportunity to have a more meaningful conversation. Don't have surface level conversations in this industry. I, yeah, I think that's great advice. And I, before we go, I just want to, I, I wanted to, mentioned that because i didn't get to see you at the end of a send but the, the tonight show theming i thought it was so interesting and it might it must have been fun to be up there and sort of be playing uh david letterman or uh jimmy fallon or whoever's on the late night now um it must have been a, a fun sort of role to play for you oh it, it absolutely yeah. was um you know in this industry we do a lot of operational things we do a lot of pnls and we have a lot of responsibilities but when you can be creative and you can have fun that's a great part of this industry as well and it's funny you should say that because every year I look for some creative spin to put on our show. And when we talked about having those meaningful conversations or listening or waiting for that spark of inspiration, I happened to be having a conversation with Scott Weissman, um, who's my um, you know, senior vice president that reports to me. And he was talking about, you know, mean tweets on the late night show and how, you know, we have to laugh at ourselves. And I, I just had that moment of that's what we need to do. That is what we need to do. We need to laugh at ourselves. The, what is better than a, a late night show when you're at unwinding and you're taking in information, but at the same time you're being entertained. And it just kind of that light bulb went off. And I said, you don't know this, but you just gave me the whole theme for that show. And from there, I kind of just ran with it. And then we talked to the marketing team and they had the idea of bringing in somebody from Cameo, which is when we brought in Carson Kressley. And it just became larger than life. And that's how those things start. And then you get the right people who have the right creativity and you have some fun, you laugh at yourself. And that is what our industry needed at that moment when we had our Ascend conference last month. We needed to laugh. We needed to celebrate. Um, at the same time, we gave them great information, but it was it was a lot of fun. And working with Carson Kressley was was a was a great great time. He's a he's a funny guy. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was so interesting. It was it was super like compelling. Uh, it was and it was so different than other other sort of conferences I've been at. So I just wanted to say it was great. Um, and I want to say thanks for the time today too. I know I know you're in the middle of a lot of things, but uh, I really appreciate you talking to me. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Dan. Anytime we can share our experiences in this industry and reflect and it's it's great. And I was very fortunate. We talked about this, but I was very fortunate that we got seated next to each other at yeah. dinner because that kind of yeah. sparked our discussion. And I think, you know, what you're doing and the beginning of your career right now, it's, it's you know, just even doing this podcast, you're taking a different angle than we've seen in the trade media. So kudos to you and, and what you guys are doing. And I look forward to kind of more future opportunities together. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure I'll see you very soon. But uh, thanks again, and yeah, have a have a have a great uh, best of the best conference and uh, great holidays coming up. Yeah, you as well. Thank you so right. much. Thank you. Bye bye.